Hello and welcome to CX Today. My name is Charlie and today I'm delighted to be joined by two contact centre experts to talk about what businesses should look for when evaluating CCAS providers. Uh, so first up, uh, I am uh, delighted to be joined uh, by Neris Caulfield, Director of Injection Consulting. Uh, Neris, it's really great to have you join us. Maybe could you uh, kick off this conversation uh, by telling us uh, a little bit about your work uh, within the CCAS industry? Hi, Charlie. Thanks. Yeah, it's lovely to be here. So, yeah, so I do a lot, really. I guess I flip flop between working alongside vendors and resellers, supporting them to ensure that their technology aligns to the contact center operation. And then I work directly with contact center operations, helping them navigate their path to success through the application of technology. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah, the contact center uh, butterfly. <laughs> That's not the word I was going for, but <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, so yeah, really great uh, to have you join us today, Naris. As it is uh, to have our, our um, second guest, uh, Thomas John, uh, Vice President of Partners, EMA and International at leading CCAS provider uh, Five Nine. Uh, Thomas, it's also great to have you uh, join us. As I said, could you maybe also, as Naris did, kind of give us a little glimpse? Uh, into your work within the contact center space. Sure, yeah. So, Charlie, thank you for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be here today. And I've been in the CX space for approaching nearly 22 years um, and really excited about it to this day. I mean, when I first worked, I actually wasn't in. I was in UC initially. Um, and when someone talked about contact centers, it never really did excite me until I got into the industry and realized that the X stands for experience, which I think ultimately is what we're all about in humanity, what is our experience? And so it's been a really exciting 22 years. I've learned a lot. And you know what? I'm sure Neris will agree. We're still learning every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. The contact center industry is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's evolving, um, especially with all these new um, trends. And there's so many facets, I think, to contact centers, which are quite fascinating, which people just don't really think about when you think about the traditional uh, contact center industry. But yeah, I won't kind of sidetrack um, the conversation too much um, on that point. Um, but kind of, as I said, mentioned earlier, the main topic of today's conversation is to talk about all those kind of considerations uh, that you look for when kind of evaluating CCAS providers. But I think uh, maybe now something is probably the best question uh, for you before we kind of start getting into that conversation. Maybe the best question I can ask you is uh, kind of what discovery work uh, must a contact center do kind of before getting to that stage of evaluating different CCAS platforms and providers? Yeah, and it is really complicated, uh, as you say, Charlie. But I think, you know, I've done over a 100 of those, oh, nearly almost a 100, I guess, is the reality of those discovery engagements. And I look at the contact centre in the round. Um, and it's really important because this that silos definitely still exist between the IT function who have been very used to buying the technology and then the end user community. Um, so I sort of try and bridge that gap and make sure that there's this, this you know, mirror on both sides. So, yeah, it, uh, so I there's a framework called the seven P's. And it is about looking at proposition. So the customer experience, that's the channels that you're offering, the hours that you're offering, what your plans are in the future. Then the people experience. So what's the competency curve? What's their desktop experience like? Where they've got frustration and irritation and um, how well they're supported through knowledge management, et cetera. Performance metrics. 
that's always my favourite part because, yeah, there's quite a lot of groupthink that goes on in terms of performance. It's quite exciting to look at the suite, who gets what, when and why, and think about changing those for the future. Then it's, you know, it's understanding the profit margins. So what's your cost to serve? Where do you want to get to without compromising the customer experience? What's your lifetime value? All of that stuff. Um, platforms. So what's your stack look like at the moment? What do you want to keep? Because it hasn't amortized or because you're really happy with its performance and what do you want to divest away from and therefore bring something new in and then where's your pain that you want that something new to cover and where's your path where do you really want to see the dial change on your customer experience your operational experience and your agent experience so that's quite comprehensive, but hopefully that that's what I think is a, a really key thing in discovery is being very clear on your use cases and where you want to go to. Mm. Yeah, it's comprehensive, but you did a great job of kind of condensing um, that down. I think that's a really useful uh, framework, actually, for everybody um, who's watching. And that's, you know, that's really uh, powerful for kind of that upfront work that contact centers kind of must do for evaluating and then kind of after that, we've had a discussion um, already, the three of us talking about kind of those things to look for um, in a context, in a CCAS provider, sorry. And um, it's clear, clear to all of us that kind of industry expertise and services must be high up on that list. So contact centers kind of avoid mm -hmm. making the classic migration mistakes. I think maybe one good example of that is kind of just trying to replicate maybe what they had um, in their old kind of legacy system. That's one that uh, comes up quite a lot. Um, so in terms of the kind of those expert services that a vendor um, sh uh, should offer, kind of what, what do you think, Thomas, that um, contact centers should look for to avoid making that sort of mistake? Yeah, it's a great question. And I love how Neris has set the tone, really, for the complexity behind what could quite easily be simplified by the acronym CX, right? So there is a lot of raft of other facets and features and all of those good stuff. Uh, ultimately, to your question, um, it comes down to experience and expertise, but expertise can only be gained through experience, right? So, I mean, I've been at Five9 for six years, um, but Five9 has been in cloud for 21 years, nearly 22. So the CCAS element of things is the pivotal point of your question, because it's a big decision folks are making as they leave legacy and premise and enter into the cloud. Um, and with that big decision comes a lot of risk in their minds, and we, we totally get that. And I guess what we're saying from our point of view is we've been doing this for 21 years. Yes, only in the last five has the real inflection taken an acceleration. And we see enterprises move to the cloud. But 5.9 have, if you like, 21 years of crisp rehearsal for this moment that everyone is calling an inflection point. And I think that comes with that experience and that expertise over the last 21 years where we now have many of the largest car manufacturers, logistic companies, healthcare insurance, all now successfully migrated from a premise to the cloud. I mean, some of our contact centers are 10 seats and our largest is approaching 40,000 seats. So with that 21 years and all that experience and lessons learned, not everyone gets everything right the first way around, but you'd hope by the 22nd year now, we're pretty efficient in how to migrate um, an enterprise from legacy into the cloud. So that, that's what I would point to. And again, just to tail up uh, or dovetail that, I would say you've got the referenceability, right? So Charlie, anyone can ever ask us, who can we go and talk to 5.9 that have successfully done this? And we wanna hear from their mouths what their experience was like.
Yeah, I think there's lots of really great points there. And I actually want to kind of double down on that last point um, of um, referenceability. That's something that kind of we discussed before as a really kind of critical thing uh, to look for in a CCAS uh, provider. Could you maybe add a bit more um, color to this one too, Naris? Yeah, I guess the reality is that this is such a critical application within um, your business and, and, and with certainly within your customer experience, customer service centers. You have to know that it's going to deliver value and it's going to improve the, that customer and that agent experience. So it, it's less now about features and functionality and because it's very hard to differentiate you know you've got open ais and you know a lot of it is table stakes a lot of what the buyers want is table stakes what they need to understand is that there's that assurity around you're going to take me safely to the cloud because that does feel a bit scary and when I get there, you're going to ensure that it consistently delivers. And really, I guess to Thomas's point, it's the people who've experienced that with the vendors that they're thinking about um, selecting are the ones that will be, you know, warts and all truthful about their specific experiences. And, and yeah, seeing it a lot more now, asking for case studies, saying, I want to speak to your customer. And that being the one of the first things that is is asked of. And I think that's a very sensible approach by buyers. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's that's a really important point, actually, kind of that having that truthful, open relationship um, with your mm. vendor, because as you kind of alluded to there, that kind of how people use the software is changing and contact centers don't want to be tied uh, maybe to a particular particular vendor. Um, I don't know, Thomas, is that something that you've, you've come across to quite a lot? And how can uh, contact center and business make sure that they're not kind of getting locked in uh, with a particular uh, provider. Yeah, and there's an irony to this because the cloud has preached choice for a long time. That's the whole point. It's flexible and you can, a subscriber can choose as and when really within limits. So I think some of these online media ones are monthly rolling contracts. Now, that wouldn't be possible for something like a complex contact center solution. But, you know, we wouldn't push back on a year or two year. We feel that's fair and we want to put review cycles in. Because frankly speaking, if you're not happy with it, you ought to be able to rip and replace for one of a better term. So we want to maintain and retain that flexibility within the cloud, which we do with our partners. And I know, Charlie, you're going to talk about an ecosystem later on and how important partners are to play into that flexibility. But the irony I mentioned at the top of my answer is that's exactly the reason why contact center to Neris's point is now even more critical and mission critical to businesses. We're dealing with a generation of consumers who have choice in every area of their buying cycle. So to want of a better example, if my experience at a Hilton wasn't great, they're going to try Marriott next time. And if Marriott isn't up to the standards they expect, it could well be Radisson the next time. And suddenly enterprises are almost put to the sword. The pressure's on to deliver the CX that this consumer who's got a lot of choice has. So it's like, I guess my answer is that is the irony that we live in as a contact center vendor, that we too recognize there is choice now for businesses. And it's down to us to prove it through their experience with us. That's how I'd answer that question, Charlie. Yeah, and Charlie, just to pick up on that, I think um, 
yeah, one of the five points that I made at the key, my keynote at Expo last year was contract for a good time, not a long time. The notion of, you know, five plus one plus one and your contract term, it is a subscription service. And as software is getting more created by the likes of GitHub, etc., it is going to be, unfortunately, easier to switch out. So those vendors have to make sure that they are completely aligned to the needs of their buyers and that they have a really strong roadmap and that they are delivering to those expectations set out in the sales cycle and that initial contracting phase. So that milestone check is super important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think this whole topic becomes even more important in terms of choices we are seeing um as well just kind of change topic a little bit we're seeing we're seeing quite a bit of financial difficulty amongst some um ccas providers too i guess of is the obvious example but i mean you also had kind of saranova which was part of life size that kind of went uh bankrupt recently um so given that kind of given that given the nat that nature i suppose um should Financial stability, I don't know, Naris, if you want to maybe take this one on. Should financial stability now also be a critical um, consideration for businesses? Yeah, I do think it is definitely a factor that you want to be working with a business that has got really strong financial viability. So, you know, they're going to be around um, and that they can invest in their R&D function heavily. Um so I do think it is important. Five Nine are sitting pretty with unprecedented surge in their uh, share prices on Tuesday this week. So great timing for this webinar, Charlie. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a factor I look at. And, you know, yeah, like you say, Avaya twice now into Chapter 11, but their debt is more than serviceable now. They've gone through that process again. But yeah, it's all about how much people you can invest in the R&D function to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I won't, I won't maybe, I'll let, uh, I'll skip on to the next one to avoid, uh, Tom, Thomas, uh, picking on his competitors, uh, or <laughs> anything like that. Um, but the next one on our list is, um, I think it's a, it's another interesting, um, one. And that's kind of the ecosystem and how that's becoming, um, a more critical, um, consideration. Uh, Thomas, do you maybe want to take this one and tell us kind of what should a contact center look for from its CCAS vendors, uh, ecosystem? Yes, absolutely. And, and look, you know, Charlie, outside of the US, partners become uh, mission critical in our go-to-market here at Five9. And, and the reason is plain and simple. Uh, in, in the past, the US, uh, one currency, one language. There's an entirely different market. And when we come over here to our side of the pond, as you both know, there are more languages, more countries, uh, and more regulations all across the 180 in the continent, this continent alone. And so suddenly, if you have partners who are vested in and have actually, actually sold legacy in the past, but now are ready to take on CCAS, you've suddenly got a force multiplier effect there. And, and we see that as key, not just from the go-to-market of the actual contact center, but when you throw in the fact that you see, it could be Microsoft Teams that the company uses as well, and it could be a Salesforce environment. And then you've suddenly got workforce management. So suddenly these partners are key to delivering that wholesome, holistic solution to the end user. And if we're not talking, then suddenly it's not a rich experience for the vendor, sorry, for the enterprise, which would then have a knockout effect to the consumer. So it is vital, I would say, in the international theater, particularly that a rich partner ecosystem 
uh, is uh, what the vendor is um, following through on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you mentioned, and now when you go into a contact center, it's very different to what it was you know, five years ago in terms of now that there's teams in there instead of sort of a Yammer and, uh, or an intranet, there's much closer um, Salesforce ties. There's kind of the variant and Calabria is kind of coming uh, coming much more into the ecosystem. I think it's, I think, yeah, that's, it's a critical one. And we've, we've talked about so many of these kind of considerations now already from ecosystem to referenceability to financial stability to services. Uh, and I'm sure there's kind of lots more, um, that we could, um, run through, but maybe kind of a final question, um, for you both is kind of which final considerations would you add to that list? I don't know, Naris, if you want to start with this. Um, yeah, so, so we have covered an awful lot. I think, you know, they're, where they're at in terms of their social values, how, how happy their staff are, um, you know, what's their turnover? Because I think that's all indicators of how invested they are in making a successful business. So, so to me, those things matter. And certainly I can see that to buyers that matters as well as the, um, percentage of a tender is seeing that sort of um, ESG increase. So yeah, there's that side of it and roadmap. You know, I think roadmap is really important because it gives a clear um, view of, of where they think they're going. So you know that you're buying an evergreen solution. Well, I want that evergreen solution to continue to evolve as and when I'm ready to take the next step on that functionality drawdown. So yeah, those two things I think are really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's a great one. I mean, I even heard of a, a kind of a vendor who lost a uh, who lost business because they didn't have an ESG um, um, pledge recently. So I think uh, I think yeah, two really great examples. And I don't know, Thomas, uh, what you would maybe um, add to. Yeah, look, I'm trying to answer this question, Charlie, without being biased, right? So I'm gonna, I want to myself in the position of a buyer and say, what would I do? What would I do now that actually there are so many options in CCAS now, vendor-wise? Mm -hmm. um, I would lean back on what I said at the top of this call, which is experience and expertise. Now, we live in a day and age that you can actually use key performance indicators and not just trust on a vendor-biased opinion, because we will say we're the best and every single one of us would. So you need to start looking at an external metric, things like net promoter score, metrics that speak to what the customer has said their experience was about five nine and insert our competition because let's face it they're having the same situation in their world because brands are now being measured and that is being exploded on the internet so everyone can go and find out this trust pilot to Neris's point how happy employees are the company or TripAdvisor if you want to figure out what our consumers saying about their travel experience which is the same in our industry. So what I would say to folks is go and find out what is the vendor's net promoter score. You can look at data points like that, that point to, all right, can I trust these guys? And so it works both ways in that instance. I would say go to data points like that. I also spoke about referenceability. Find out how many of the leading brands are with said vendor. And well, what are their net promoter scores? That, that, that'll speak volumes because ultimately, why someone is choosing a feature-rich and a future-proof contact center product is to ensure that their consumers are receiving the best in the best and breed experience. So all of that put together, I would say go towards data points, proven KPIs such as net promoter score, and do that due diligence, as well as obviously covering the analysts who do a lot of that for you. So the analysts can speak to 
who are the leaders and so on and so forth on an execution and an innovation axis. So that would be my advice. Excellent. I think that's really great advice. And maybe one of those analyst reports, um, I guess Magic Quadrant is probably the best example of that, which Five9 did uh, just come up uh, come up as a leader on. So congrats on that. But um, yeah, I think some really, uh, some really great um, stuff there. And I think lots of really great information uh, for all of our viewers there. And we didn't even talk about generative AI once. That's my first interview in, uh, <laughs> in months. <laughs> in months. But yeah, I'd like to thank you both uh, for joining me today. It was an excellent conversation. Um, yeah, and also thank you to, to everybody for watching. Bye for now.